to take out your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, if you would. We'll take the first 10 verses today in a study that I've entitled, Ministry According to Jesus. You see, ministry is supposed to be done according to, for, and under the auspices of the King of Heaven. And in fact, the reason we're gathered here is to make him known, to not only present his word in a way that we can understand it, but also to show the rest of the world who Jesus is, what he does, how he functions, why he came in the first place. And so as we will celebrate at the Lord's table at the end of our time together today, begin to prepare your hearts for that eventuality but would you join me and we'll pray and we'll take the first 10 verses here in Luke chapter 17. Father, we come and Lord, we thank you that we can still meet. Lord, we praise you for the goodness that you've shown us and enabling us to have this outdoor sanctuary to be gathered together today in this place. And we pray that your word would now speak to us as your people, change us, mold us, shape us, make us into images of you, Jesus, as we study and as we take these things to heart and then act on them in our daily lives, Lord. Bless us through the power of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Verse one here in Luke chapter 17. And then he said to his disciples, and so remember when this is, Jesus for the last four chapters, from 14 to chapter 17, has been on a single Sabbath, in Perea, so a region just north and slightly east of Jerusalem, not very far from Jerusalem. He's on his way. His final week of his life is coming. But he spent an entire Sabbath. These four chapters have been Jesus talking to one group of people after another group of people about things about the king and the kingdom. And so it's in that context. And he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. So he's now going to, again, kind of encapsulate many of the things that he said. He says, look, here's how I want ministry to function. Here's what I want it to look like. I don't want to be misrepresented. I wouldn't misrepresent my father, and I wouldn't want you to. For it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he'd be thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Jesus has a heart for kids. And it's a serious thing in the eyes of the Lord to mislead a child. Take heed to yourselves, for if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. But if he repents, forgive him. Is that very hard, church? It is for me. When someone does something to me, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing. But I want you to notice how easy Jesus makes this for us. If someone sins against you, forgive him if he repents. Notice there's no condition there. Well, if they're really, really, really super sorry and you can, you, know, you can figure out exactly how sorry they are, or if they do enough things to prove that they're sorry, it just simply says, if your brother offends you, tell him what his fault is. That's what the word rebuke means. And when he does that, if he repents, then you just simply forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times, and here's how we know this, in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So for those of you that think that there's a limitation to God's forgiveness in the life of a believer, this passage is for you. It, it couples with Matthew chapter 18. Forgiveness is not an option in the body of Christ. It is a mandate. 
It, it doesn't have any limits. It has no bounds. And if you want to look to, to prove that, just look at yourself in the mirror. You better be really glad that God has forgiven you for absolutely everything you've ever done in Christ Jesus. That is the heart that you are to have towards other people. Regardless of how much they may offend you, how many times they've hurt you, no matter what they've done, if they repent, you forgive. Period. This is 1 John 1.9. For us as the body of Christ, this is our obligation. For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? No conditions. It's simply a statement. If someone sins against you, if they repent, forgive them. And really, even if they don't repent from your side, you can still forgive. It's the best thing always for you. Notice how he continues on. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, these things are hard. We need more faith to do this. This is not easy. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted by the sea, and it would obey you. So you'd have the ability to speak to trees. They would move and they would go someplace that would be obviously hostile even to the growth of that tree. If you planted a mulberry tree in a beach, I guarantee you if you do it, it dies. If God does it, it lives. He can do things you can't do, things that I can't do. On which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And so likewise, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done only what is our duty. Jesus speaks to us about some principles here about what really ministry is about. And you know, it's interesting to me that the world has very funny ideas about what ministry is. If you have your app and you pull it up, I'm going to give you some things. And some of this is just to give you an idea of how crazy the world is, how strange the world is and what it thinks ministry is. And we hear a lot about it right now because of the COVID uh, dynamic in our society. It's like people are like, well, this church is that and this church is this. No, there's really only one church as far as Christ is concerned. And it goes by one word of God, has one power source, that's the Holy Spirit. And if you're really part of that church, then there are some guidelines that are supposed to be true about every church. Now, this guy that's my first church here, Happy Science, this is uh, Ryohu Okawa, and he founded this kind of pleasant little religion that has the fourfold path. It has love and wisdom and self-reflection and progress. And you're probably sitting there going, well, those things are all good. Yeah, they are all good. Here's the problem. He believes himself to be the incarnation of Jesus and Moses and Buddha. And oh, by the way, El Cantare, he is the creator God as far as he's concerned. So you see, it sounds good. It's like, oh, we're going to be nice to everybody, and we're going to do all these things, and we're going to love people, and we're going to have wisdom. It's still not of the Lord. You, you can have all kinds of things that are principles that are taught in Scripture, but if you begin to focus on something other than Jesus, then that ministry is not from God. Christ is the focus of all ministry. He's the only Savior 
He is the only one that can change lives. He's the only one that can redeem you back from the bondage of sin and death. It is Christ alone that we believe in. We don't believe in just ministry. Some additional examples, and I'll, I'll blow through these pretty quickly. You can, again, pull up the app. You can look at them in your, in your own time. But some examples of things that people follow today because they plug into where they're at. They, they minister to that person in some part of their reality in this world. Uh, there, there's a, these are all 501c3 religious corporations, I might add. These are churches. In other words, you could go to them and you could literally, you could get married, you could have them oversee, uh, you know, your premarital counseling. You do all kinds of things with them. With Discordianism, uh, the late, great Robert Anton Wilson's amazing novel, Illuminatus, which is actually an interesting novel if you want to read the novel itself, but uh, a lot of computer hackers turned that into a religion. It's based on chaos. And one of their primary teachings is that every single human being who was ever on the face of the earth is actually entitled to be a pope. So you can go to their website and download your little card, and you all can be pope for a day. Actually, you can be pope forever. There's a temple of true inner light. Um, this is where all the dope fiends go. Um, they believe that marijuana, LSD, peyote, psilocybin, mushrooms, DMT, things like that, are actually the flesh of God, and if you eat those things, you'll get closer to God. They'll get closer to something, but not God. <laughs> Realism teaches that about 25,000 years ago, that aliens came to this earth and, and seeded this planet and created human beings, and that, oh, by the way, in 2025, he's coming back again. These are all ministries. If you were to type in ministry and you go to your computer search and you start looking these things up, they're going to come up in a list of ministries. But are they really Christ-honoring ministries? If you go to Colorado, there's the International Church of Cannabis. They call themselves elevationists, actually. I'm sure they're high all the time. They have secret things. They get together and they call it the glory of ganja meetings. It's like, this is, this is what the world, when you say ministry, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. My personal favorite is Jediism. Now, I, I know some of you are Star Wars fans. I like Star Wars myself. But I'm really not thinking that Yoda is God. Nor do I think that the force is, is real in the sense that it's talked about. And you're saying, well, you know, that's nice, Jeff, but it, yeah, those are all weird. Is it really? Is it really? Because when you talk to people in this world, if they don't know who Jesus is, then they may well think that these things are just as valid as a ministry as a Bible-teaching, believing church because they don't know what ministry is. Sometimes we use language in the church that when you speak those words to someone who doesn't know the Lord, they're like, okay, so, you know, that's the International Church of Cannabis and you are the same thing. You believe something and you believe it strongly. And in fact, there are some pseudo-Christian churches that would fall into the same category for different reasons. Groups like the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, 
the Church of Scientology. I've had people come to you, well, Church of Scientology, they're Christians. They actually follow the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard. Okay? He believed that aliens came to this earth, they dropped a hydrogen bomb inside of a volcano, and people popped out. I'm pretty sure that's not the same Jesus taught in the Bible. And I'm condensing these things down for you so that you understand you're in a battle for people's minds to describe to them what it is that ministry is all about. What is Jesus about? Reverend Sung Young Moon, who put together the Unification Church, basically teaches that Jesus failed on the cross, that we needed a new Savior. Well, it sounds like they might be Christians. The Christian identity movement, one of the, people, one of the reasons that people have such a hard time understanding what Christianity is is it's been blended with so many things. Do you know that the Ku Klux Klan believes that they're Christians? They're, they, they believe in Arianism, but they'll tell you they're Christians. They're not Christians. They're demonic, but they claim to be Christians. So you have to define what it is that you're talking about when you say, yeah, I believe in the ministry of Jesus Christ. What is that? What is it that the Lord wants us to share with this world? In this passage, I think Jesus gives us some insights. There are some very special relationships that we adhere to in ministry. Things that we believe categorically. And Jesus lays some of those things out for us in this passage. He ends with this solemn warning that hell is real. He just told us that. In chapter 16, he finishes up saying, look, there's, there's two places you can go. And now he's going to focus on why it's so important that we realize that our power source is none other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's Jesus himself. That, that he is the source of ministry, that he is the one that calls us into ministry, that, that what we engage in as we share Christ with people is both precious and perilous at the same time. You have the words of life when you share the gospel with somebody, the true gospel, the real gospel, the one that takes all that stuff that I just mentioned and says, none of that is real. All of that is false. And you share with somebody the real truth about Jesus, who he is, what he did for them. You're sharing truth that can alter their eternal destiny. But if you just preach nice things, if you just share with people, well, you know, we just need to be nice to each other. That's a good thing, by the way. We do. It's sadly missing in much of our world today. But being nice can't save you. Being loving actually can't save you. You have to be in relationship with the one and only Savior of the world personally in order to see heaven. And so Jesus is kind of giving us some insight into the truth of why this is important. You have to have a special relationship. And I have to have God's help. And so he says, look, it's, it's impossible. People are going to be offended by the gospel message. 
when you tell them that Jesus is the only way, they're going to go, well, what about Buddhists? What, what about Muslims? What about people who practice Hinduism? What about animists? What about atheists? What about agnostics? What about, what about, what about, what about Mormons? What about Jehovah's Witnesses? What about all these other groups? And as hard as it is for us to say, the truth is, without Christ, you perish. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you perish. And you perish eternally. Jesus has just made that clear. He said, here's the rich man, here's, the Lazarus. here's Lazarus. There's two places, they're separated by a gulf, and you can't get between the two once you've taken your last breath. And the secret to being on one side versus the other side is what have you done with Jesus? Can I tell you that getting a degree in theology doesn't make you a pastor? Doesn't make you a minister of the gospel? It should help along the lines of, of getting there. But the men that Jesus is talking to here, the scribes and the elders, were some of the most biblically literate people on the face of the earth at the time. They knew more about the Bible than anybody else. It would have been the Old Testament, but nonetheless, the truths of salvation were actually contained in the book of Isaiah. They should have known Messiah was coming, but they had turned church into something other than Jesus. In our day and time, we've turned church into a lot of things social club. It's a political club. There's all kinds of things that have infiltrated the church and become the church's new mission. The church has always only had one mission, and that is making Christ known. Revealing Jesus. Causing people to come into a right relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And frankly, there's a lot of culturally relevant mythical Jesus, milquetoast Jesus, the coexist Jesus that people are preaching right now. Jesus, by his very definition of himself, is massively exclusive. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. That is pretty exclusive, isn't it? That's a truth. And in saying that, he's saying, I'm exclusive. But he also said, to as many as believe on me, they will be saved. So he is exclusive and he's massively inclusive. But it's him. It's not just good deeds. It isn't that you go to some church it isn't that you believe in some biblical principles. It isn't even that you know your Bible in that sense. You can know your Bible and not even be saved. You have to know Christ and him crucified for the remission of your sin, or you are not a believer. Jesus is now being unflinching in the face of his enemies. To that end, each of us has to have some holy boldness. You know, it's not easy telling people that they're perishing. It's not easy. But if you love them in a kind way, 
in a way that draws them to Christ, that is the message of the gospel. You cannot just give the good news without giving the bad news. The bad news all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is, to as many as receive him, to them he gave the ability to become the sons of God. There's good news and bad news to the gospel. And so you're going to have to have some boldness. And so Jesus said it's impossible that there are no stumbling blocks. He begins with that principle there in verse 1. You've got to be prepared for that. Traps are going to be set. People are going to come up to you. Well, you know, what about, what about, what about, what about? I would love to tell you that if you're a Jedi master of the first order, you're going to heaven. I would love to be able to look at you and go, just as long as you believe something, you believe it really strongly, you're going to heaven. You know, if you just wake up one morning and all of a sudden you feel enlightened, you're going to heaven. But the fact of the matter is, none of those things can save you. Only Christ can save you from the penalty of your sins because only Christ paid the price for the penalty of those sins and he did so on Calvary's cross. That's the truth, church. And I think the church has a real battle ahead of it because during this time of uncertainty, during this pandemic, I've watched church after church after church get off of the gospel and on to other things. Off of the truth of the word of God and on to other things. And the fact of the matter is, it is only Christ that can save. And so real ministry will always be Christocentric. The center will be Christ. And so what are we battling? Jesus kind of gives us a little bit of understanding. We're battling for the minds of our kids, for the hearts of our kids, for the truth of the gospel. I've listened to parents Try and explain away why they're allowing their son or their daughter who is 11 or 12 to be in a relationship with someone of the same sex saying, well, you know, it's just on TV. Can I remind you that the devil basically controls television? Can I remind you that not everything that gets produced and put on TV is truth? And so Jesus said, look, it'd be better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you'd be tossed into the sea than you change the message of the gospel. You see, you're not going to heaven because you know about Jesus even. You're going to heaven because you know him personally. You've believed in him. You've placed your faith, your hope, and your trust in his sacrifice on Calvary's cross to redeem you from the penalty of your sin, that is why you're going to heaven. The world right now wants other ways. The world wants us to say, look, well, you know, can't we all just get along? When it comes to the cross of Christ, there is no other way. Allah and Yahweh are not the same person. Now, it may offend some of you, but it's also truth. Allah and Yahweh are not the same. 
Buddha and Jesus are not the same. So what is ministry about? It's about preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hearts and minds, very principally, of the young people on this planet. One of the reasons I spent 20 years as a camp director is because I believe this. I didn't do it for money. I did it because I believe the place that you reach most people is when they are young. Before their lives become so infected and polluted with the trash that this world has to offer that they have so much garbage to try and overcome that it becomes a much more difficult task. And yet, what are we doing in the church today? I think the battle for our culture has crept in and become a substitute for the teaching of the Word of God in some churches. We're so worried about what the media is doing or what Hollywood's saying or what the world of music is saying or the world of fashion or the humanistic teachings of our college systems in this country that we're trying to figure out ways to bring that into the church or a political narrative or even teaching dependence on Uncle Sam instead of Jesus. There's one king, there's one Lord, and he is Lord over all who believe, and we preach Christ, especially to our kids. What Jesus is saying, look, if you offend one of these little ones, and again, Matthew's gospel illuminates this passage a little bit, there's some divine problem with those who harm God's kids. And so I would remind all of us that our goal is to do ministry like Jesus wants us to do ministry. I got up this morning, I had a, a WhatsApp message from Pastor Mike down in Nicaragua, the second truckload of materials, roofing materials and roofing supplies to repair some of these homes on the coast. Uh, we're going out, that's ministry. Preaching the gospel to people who are lost and don't have anything, taking them food and saying, this came to you in the name of Jesus, that's ministry. It's not all of us trying to become constitutional scholars. It's not all of us trying to figure out how do we fix this country through a system of laws. We can't fix this country through a system of laws. We can only fix this country. If there's any fixing it, it's going to be fixed because of Jesus. That's how we fix this country. That's the answer. The world's going, now you got to do all these other things. No, we don't. We need to preach Christ, and we need to teach his word cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and let God's word do what God's word says it will do. It will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that for which it was sent. That's ministry, church, and we need to not forget that. We have special resources. Two of those are forgiveness and faith. Forgiveness and faith. And I want you to notice it, it's not a large faith. It's not having so much faith that everything is just easy for us. It's having a living faith. 
I, I have to do spiritual work with spiritual resources in that sense. I'm not going to be able to accomplish the things that the Lord wants me to accomplish if I'm trying to draw on worldly resources. I probably get on average at least a couple of books a week from people who are claiming to have some new way to do ministry. And it's mind-boggling some of the things that are taught in there. I got one two weeks ago. You need to do at least 16 weeks on giving. Don't worry, I threw it in the trash. Why? Because if we just had more money, then we could do all these other things. Maybe God doesn't want us to have that money. Maybe he doesn't want us to have, maybe he wants us to go hungry for a while so we'll appreciate a meal. Maybe he wants us to know what it's like to suffer so that we can join him in the fellowship of suffering. You see, all these other things, this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach about everybody being wealth, wealthy or, or having great health. The Bible is filled with people who are of ill health, dying, literally. People who are poor, the poorest of the, of the, the world at that time. And so we get caught up in these other things and we stop preaching Christ. And we start preaching our particular style of ministry. We are here to preach Christ, to teach God's word. What does it say? How should it affect me? Notice what Jesus has been doing. He's been causing the lame to walk and the blind to see. He's been touching the least of these. He's been ministering to the poor. He's been doing things that you could say, there's nothing in it for me, there's only something in it for them, and then he tells them the truth about the kingdom. It's actually that simple, church. That's why those roofing materials are going to the coast of Nicaragua today. That's why that food is going to Nicaragua today. It's going, this is from Jesus, because he loves you. And when people get the understanding that Christ loves them, then they will listen to what it is he has to say about their life. But if he doesn't know, if, they, if they're not being shown that he loves them, it makes it all that much more difficult to teach these timeless truths that are understood by faith. The faith of the Lord himself indwelt in us by the Holy Spirit grace and truth, dealing with our infirmities, being willing to forgive the way he forgives us, me. During this time that we've been underneath all these orders, I've had to look at this whole thing from a very different perspective. I've had to say, Lord, things that we were doing before don't work now. Things that we might try may not actually produce any results. What do you want us to do? Oddly enough, came back to doing the, what we're supposed to be doing, telling people about Jesus, loving on people who have need, showing people that what we believe is born out in the way we live, and not deviating from truth. 
God didn't tell me to do anything else. And I asked. I said, Lord, are we missing something? He said, Jeff, you need to have more faith. You need to be kinder. You need to be gentle. You need to love the unlovable. You need to rely on my infinite resources because you're going to run out. You see, in that, I have some special responsibilities to go with those special resources. On which of you, verse 7 says, having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he's come in from the field, come and eat at once, sit down, eat. But rather will he not say, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself, serve me? When you first read this, you're kind of like, well, that's kind of selfish. But the Lord's making a point here. The same point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 12. Present your bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord, for it is your reasonable service. Jesus paid for my life with his blood. I'm going to have the communion team begin to pass out the elements of communion. I would ask you to hold the cup. It has both the cup and the bread together. There's a seal on the top that will reveal the bread, and there's a second seal that will reveal the juice. But if you would hold those, let me speak to you for a moment on this. You see, Christ paid for my life with his life. Christ was beaten. He, he was torn apart because of my transgressions against the holy God. And so Jesus is saying, it's just a reasonable thing for us to serve the master. No Mideastern master during that time would say to his servants, okay, you eat first. Why? Because they were douloi. They, they willingly gave themselves to the service of someone else. We have, as the body of Christ, willingly given ourselves as servants of the Most High of the Lord Jesus. Why is that important in this context? Because Jesus is saying the prime motivating factor behind everything that anyone does is the heart of service. What we do, we do because the Lord loved us enough to die for us. Loved us enough to go to the cross Loved us enough to endure all that he endured to put upon us and in us a power that we did not previously have because of sin. You and I used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We were governed by sin. We were ruled, in essence, by a different master. And so Jesus brings to light. Does he thank that servant because of the things he did? Look, let's face it. For me, let me just say for me. This is the least I can do for what Jesus has done for me. The very least I could do is to offer my life as a living sacrifice for what he did. If I were to die in the service of the king, 
If the Lord were to require of me today my actual physical life, it would be the very least that I could do for my king. It's not something that I fear. It's not something that I go, whoa, you know, that's not fair. What did you give me, Lord? How come I don't get to eat first? And the point that Jesus is making is that one day you will get to eat with him in heaven and you're not going to care what happened here on earth. It won't matter. It is that eternal perspective that, look, just serve me while you're here. Endure what you have to endure while you're here. Go through what you have to go through while you're here. But would you please make me known to this world? Because the world needs me. They don't need you, Jeff. The world doesn't need Jeff Gill. The world needs Jesus. And I don't say that because God hasn't graciously been able to use me. But he could accomplish what he's accomplishing through me. He could make this pulpit talk if he wanted to. I could just walk off. Alex and I could go. And the Lord is quite capable of speaking to you without me. And so why would he use me? Because he loves me. Because he loves me. And he loves you. And he proved that by dying on Calvary's cross. He had himself nailed to the cross, so you didn't need to be nailed to the cross. That cross was your cross. It was my cross. It should bless you. It should bless you that the Lord, in his incredible mercy, his amazing grace, stooped down and took up the, the form of a man and came to this earth and dwelt among us, went hungry and thirsty, and ultimately was beaten and killed. His back torn apart, his body shredded because of me. You see, I'm supposed to be telling the world about him. It's not about me. We're supposed to be eating because of him, not because of me. So I have a special relationship. I literally know God. I literally know God. I have a relationship with the Lord of glory. I have special resources. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me to accomplish these incredibly difficult things. Show the world who he is, to speak truth into their life. And with that comes incredible responsibility. I'm obligated. I am his servant. My ear was nailed to his doorpost in that sense. I am a douloi, a bond slave. I willingly said yes to what he offered, 
and I put myself in his service for the rest of my days, willingly. So I have a responsibility to represent him well. And with that comes a very special privilege. He adopted me into his family. God adopted me into his family. Think about that for a second, church. The God of heaven gave his own son so that you could be adopted as legitimate children of the king brought you into his family. That's why we worship Jesus. We don't worship a church. We don't worship a style of ministry. We don't worship other things. Freedom's great. But freedom from sin is greater. Joy and happiness is wonderful. But a life filled with Jesus is better. Your home is wonderful, but heaven is better. We'll get to it in chapter 22. But Jesus, when the hour had come, sat down with the 12 apostles and he said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's another supper coming, church. The one that we're going to celebrate right now, we call the Lord's Supper, but there's going to be a marriage supper with the Lamb in heaven. And he took the cup. He took the bread. And when he broke the bread, he said to them, take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. Let's partake together. And after supper, Jesus reminding us that we were to do these things in remembrance of him. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant which is shed for you. Man. Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood was shed for me. It was poured out for me. He gave up everything for me. That's why ministry is only about him. A behold, the hand of the betrayer is with me at this table. Truly the Son of Man goes as has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he's betrayed. 
So there's a warning there. If we've been bought and paid for with the blood of the Lamb, then we should not betray the King. Because His blood was shed for us. We were purchased with that blood. Let's remember the cost of our salvation. Let's partake together. Father, we have come as your blood-bought children with thankful hearts to the table of grace to remember you. And Lord, we do remember you. And we remember really only you. That you were beaten and bruised and nailed to a tree so that we might have life. And so, Lord, in remembrance of you, we say thank you for allowing us to do a little bit of ministry while we wait for you to take us home. Would it always be about you, Jesus? Always be for you, Jesus? Because it's only because of you, Jesus, that these things are possible. And so, Lord, we give you afresh and anew our lives and invite you, God, by your Spirit to send us out into this world as servants to do your ministry. In Jesus' name.